Good day, and welcome back to Latin 2 class from St. Agnes Church. This is Jim May, and we will be working today on Unit 15 in the Collins book. Now, you will recall that last week we worked on third declension nouns, masculine, feminine, and neuter. And just to review, let's go over our endings. For the masculine and feminine, blank, is, e, M, A, plural, es, um, ibus, es, ibus. For the neuter nouns, blank, is, e, blank, a, a, um, ibus, a, ibus. Note that the neuters in the nominative and accusative are the same, <clears throat> and in the nominative and accusative plural, they are the same and end in A. Now today, in chapter 15, or unit 15, we learn that there is a subclassification of third declension nouns. And these are generally called in grammar books, I-stem nouns. There are masculine and feminine I-stem nouns that have one set of endings, and neuter I-stem nouns. There's just a very small variation from the regular endings of the third declension on these I-stem nouns. <clears throat> now you'll ask the question, how do we know what nouns are regular nouns of the third declension and what nouns are I-stem nouns? The I-stem nouns in the masculine and feminine category are identified in two separate ways. First, nouns whose base or stem ends in two consonants. Now remember, in order to find the stem of any noun, and in particular third declension nouns, we go to the genitive form and drop the ending, the is, and that leaves your stem. So for instance, <clears throat> an I stem noun of the third declension is there in your book on page 119 in section 79, pars partis. This means part, of course. And you notice that when you go to the genitive partis and drop the is, you are left with the stem part, which of course we get our word part. Notice that the stem or the base ends in rt. Another such noun <clears throat> is the noun for night, nox noctis. Drop the is and you have n-o-c-t. The word for night, we get nocturnal, of course, from it. The base ends in two consonants. Now, this is true for all consonants except L and R when they are the second of the two consonants. These are liquids called liquids in uh, linguistics. And when there's an L and an R or R as the second of those two consonants, as in the word mater, matris, that does not qualify for an I stem. All other bases ending in two consonants do. Now, the second way or the second classification of masculine and feminine I stems are those that we call parasyllabic. If you think of the word syllabic, you know what a syllable is para in Greek, par equal, in Latin, par equal, right? So these are nouns that are parasyllabic. In other words, they have the same number of syllables in the mass, in the, uh, I'm sorry, in the nominative 
and the genitive. Now you notice that most nouns of the third declension don't have, uh, they're not parasyllabic. So for instance, pars partis, or uh, an earlier noun that we used, rex regis, uh, those are not parasyllabic. You have a, a single syllable in the, in the nominative and a, and a two-syllable in the genitive. But there are groups of nouns in the, in the third declension that are parasyllabic in the nominative and the genitive. One such is the familiar word panis, panis, which means bread, panis angelicus. You probably know the great hymn, panis angelicus, the bread of angels. So if you have a masculine or feminine noun of the third declension, and, and the word in its base ends in two consonants, or it's parasyllabic and nominative and genitive form, that is considered an I stem. Now, what does that mean in practical terms? Well, it's quite simple in the masculine and feminine nouns. It simply means that all the endings are the same as your regular third declension endings, except in the genitive plural, where instead of just U-M, um, we have I-U-M. So if we were to decline the noun panis, bread, this is the way we do it. Panis, panis, pani, panem, pane. Now the plural, panes, panium, panibus, panes, panibus. So in masculine and feminine nouns that are I stems of the third declension, you will see an I-U-M in the genitive. And one nice thing about your book that Collins does for you is that when he puts these nouns in the vocabulary list, he will give you an additional entry to show you that it's an I stem. So if you look on page 119 in section 79, he tells you that in the vocabulary list, he will list the noun panis like this. Panis, panis, and then panium showing you the genitive plural, masculine bread, <clears throat> or pars, partis, partium showing you the genitive plural, feminine part. Now, if that's clear, let's move on to the neuter I stem nouns of the third declension. Now remember, we had already reviewed our neuter nouns and our neuter endings. The I-stem nouns uh, of the third declension that are neuter end in E, A-L, or A-R. I'll repeat that. E, A-L, or A-R. Now, there are not many of these nouns, but there are some important ones. So one of the easiest ones to remember is the word animal, animalis. And I think you can figure out what that means, animal course. We get the word directly from Latin, animal, animalis. Uh, another such uh, word that's common in Latin is exemplar, exemplaris, an exemplar, an example. Another word that's perhaps the most common of neuter I stems is mare, maris, which means see. We know the phrase in our church Latin, uh, an appellation for the Blessed Virgin, Stella Maris, Star of the Sea. So the word Mare Maris, neuter, is an I stem because it 
It's a neuter noun of the third declension ending in E in the nominative. So neuter nouns in the nominative ending in E, A, R, or A, L are neuter I stems. And how are these different? Well, the I in the neuters shows up a little more often. It shows up in the ablative. Instead of an E, we have an I, which is very strange. And then in the plural, we have an IA in the nominative and accusative and an IUM in the genitive. I'll repeat that. In the singular, we have an I in the ablative instead of an E. And then in the plural, we have an IA in the nominative and accusative and an IUM in the genitive. So if we want to decline the word mare, maris, neuter, the word for C in Latin, we would do it this way. Mare, maris, mari, mare, same as nominative, Maislaw number one. And then the ablative, mari, an I, not an E. And then in the plural, maria, notice it ends in A, but here an IA. Marium, I-U-M, in the genitive, because it's an I stem. Maribus, then the same as the nominative, Maria, and the uh, ablative plural, Maribus. So there you have it. Those are the endings for your third declension I stem nouns. So the I stems, again, in review, are simply a subcategory of third declension nouns. And most likely, if you just saw them in context or in a sentence or in a paragraph, you would recognize the case. But be on the lookout for these I-stem nouns, because in the masculine and feminine, their genitive plural will have that I, I-U-M. And in the neuters, you'll see the I uh, crop up in the ablative singular and the genitive plural, but also the nominative and accusative genitive or a nominative and accusative endings, I-A, Maria. Okay. We'll uh, review that in a minute when we look at some vocabulary words. But let's take a look now on page 120. Um, and we have a few more of these grammatical concepts that Collins likes to introduce in each chapter. Uh, he gives us another use of the genitive in section 81 on page 120, the partitive genitive. And this is a, a common genitive with particular words in Latin. And it indicates a part of the whole after a word that denotes a part. So when we look at the practice sentence on page 120, we have Petrus Multos discipulorum in templum duxit. Peter led multos discipulorum, many of the disciples, in templum, into the temple. There you have many of the disciples, um, and the, the, the adjective many followed, adjective there actually almost acting as a noun, 
followed by degenitive, disupulorum. Um, a better example would be with the word pars, partis, pars disipulorum, right? Part of the disciples. Um, so words like that, part, some, and another very important word, satis, which we will see in our vocabulary, enough, are followed very often by the genitive. We have enough of bread, satis panis, enough of bread. Um, and that is a very common uh, usage in Latin, the partitive genitive. In section 82, we see another grammatical tidbit, the dative with certain adjectives. And this is, again, nothing that you probably wouldn't figure out on your own when you see such a construction in a Latin sentence. The dative case can depend on an adjective, meaning something like near to, pleasing to, dear to, just like we do in English. If I said to you, uh, this book is particularly dear to me, we would say to me, right? And remember in Latin that the dative case is that case which indicates a two or four relationship. So with particular adjectives, for instance, like carus aum, which means dear to, you will expect a dative following. Take a look at the example. Nostrum sacrificium erit deo gratum. Will our sacrifice, nostrum sacrificium, erit, will it be gratum deo, pleasing to God? Notice deo goes in the dative case without a preposition. So that's uh, straightforward enough. Our next uh, grammatical point is a predicate accusative. Now, we have these in English all the time. We use, we use them quite often. We see them in constructions. We hear them in speaking. It's a construction that we call in English the objective complement. And what we see there is a noun or an adjective that occurs or is used to complete the meaning of another noun or pronoun. So, for instance, we named him president. Um, we named him, is the main verb, we named him, we named who? Him. And then president. It's an objective compliment. It's complimenting, not complimenting, like he's a nice guy. That's a C-O-M-P-L-I meant. This is a compliment, meaning it completes or fills out the meaning. So we named him president. Um, we see this in many verbs, uh, like named or make or uh, hold or consider. Let's take a look at our Latin examples there. Christus Jesus Petrum Apostolum Fecit. Christ Jesus Fecit made Petrum, Peter, an apostle or his apostle, either way. Notice that apostolum is a complement to Peter. It fills out the meaning of Peter. It wouldn't make sense just to say Christ made Peter. Of course, he did make him in creation, but that's not what we're getting at with this use of fechit here. Christ Jesus made Peter an apostle. The second example, ecclesiam habemus sanctum. We consider or we hold the church holy. The idea is, we consider the church 
to be holy, right? Again, sanctum there, and uh, it's an objective complement, filling out the meaning of church. We consider or hold the church holy. So again, this is not a very difficult grammatical concept, and when you see it in Latin, in a sentence or a paragraph, you would certainly probably pick up on it and translate it correctly in any case. And then finally, he talks, Collins talks about the so-called cognate accusative. The cognate accusative simply means that the accusative used is cognate or related to uh, the noun or the verb that governs it. Uh, so for instance, you can live a life, you can run a race, you can drink a drink, and uh, dream a dream. So here we have the example Vitam bonam vixit. He lived a good life. He lived a life. Um, it simply means, cognate means uh, to be related in Latin, and it means that you're expressing the same thing in the accusative as you find in the verb. So, um, those are our small grammatical uh, additions to this lesson. Uh, which is actually uh, a quite easy lesson considering that it builds upon and just as a slight variation over our last unit, uh, unit 14. Let's take a look at the vocabulary on page 121. And in particular, some of the uh, nouns in, uh, in that vocabulary to point out the difference between I-STEM and regular nouns in the third declension. So we have an ambo, ambonis, which is an ambo or a lectern, and it's masculine. Notice, uh, it's not an I stem, it's not parasyllabic, nor does its stem end in two consonants. Cantor, cantoris, masculine, a singer. Cruor, cruoris, masculine, blood. Uh, to be, uh, that's usually gore, or blood that comes from a wound a wound rather than sanguis, sanguinis, which uh, is another third declension noun, which we'll be getting, uh, if not, in, or we, I see it's uh, down here in general. Take a look down a few words. Sanguis, sanguinis, masculine, blood in general. So, of course, sanguis is the word used in the consecration, uh, in the mass, not cruor, okay, because cruor has a... Uh, common meaning of blood that comes from a wound. Um, uh, okay, uh, getting back to our words, lector, lectoris, a reader. And here we come to the first I-stem noun, panis, panis, masculine, bread, a loaf of bread. And notice that panis, panis is an I-stem. Uh, Collins kindly prints panium there to show you but we know that it's an I-stem because it's parasyllabic. That is, it has the same number of syllables in the nominative and the genitive, and it's a third declension noun. Um, panis, panis. Going down the list, postis, postis, masculine, a doorpost or a post, and you notice again, a parasyllabic noun of the third declension is an I-stem. Uh, sanguis sanguinis masculine is not an I stem, right? But then we get finis finis, uh, end boundary, and in the plural it means territories, the boundaries. 
and that is an eye stamp. Particeps, participis, masculine and feminine, a partaker, a sharer, that is not an eye stamp, and so on. Uh, you can see in the second column some other eye stems, mens, mentis, feminine, mind or intention, uh, mors, mortis, a very common word that we know, uh, death, uh, it is an eye stem, pars, partis, partium, uh, feminine, a part or some, and notice those are nouns, mens and mors and partis, pars, partis, are all nouns, they're eye stems, and their base or stem ends in two consonants. That's the way we know they're an eye stem. Uh, salus salutis is not an eye stem. Feminine, it means safety, and in Christian Latin, most often salvation. And here we come with uh, a very important word, cor cordis. Okay, a neuter noun ending in R, uh, and also is, uh, an eye stem, you notice there, cart. Uh, mare, marius, an eye stem, C, we talked about that. So there you have it. And um, there's one more important word that uh, I want you to take note of, and that's the last word in this list, satis. It's an indeclinable noun or an indeclinable adjective. And it means enough. It can use, uh, function as an adjective. But interestingly enough, unlike almost all other adjectives in Latin, it doesn't change its endings. Most commonly in Latin, we'll see it act as a noun. He has enough of bread. And it would, we'd say satis panis, enough of bread. And it would use the partitive genitive following, as it shows you there. Enough plus the partitive genitive. So, that basically is our lesson for this week, Unit 15. As I said, uh, in, in a rather easy uh, lesson that builds on what we learned last time and expands our knowledge of the third declension. Now, don't worry, there aren't any more sub-sub-subcategories in the third declension coming, but this is an important one. Now, um, for our homework, let's again concentrate on our exercises on page 123 and 124. And we will again do the even-numbered sentences, 2468 and so on, all the way through to 32. And I will be getting back in touch with you via our audio stream here so that you can, um, uh, so that we can review those sentences and you can ask questions during the week. So uh, here we are at the end of Unit 15. Uh, I hope that things were clear. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to write me on email, and I'll try to address those either directly or in the follow-up audio uh, recording. Have a great week, and we'll be back again next week with our next unit. Take care. Bye-bye.